Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's French Open Round 1 Catch-Up, sponsored by The Boodles. Medvedev falls at the first hurdle. Zachary stunned by Mukova. And Cam Norrie is already the last Brit standing in Paris. Kim, today is the 30th of May and we are here to catch up. On round one of the French Open, we've had three days of play in Paris and we have had one big shot, Kim. Daniel Klaverdev is no more. And he better hope he's Daniel Grasvedev sometime <laughs> soon. Um, so he doesn't, you know, have the same fate at Wimbledon. Yeah, shock of the day. Uh, second seed going out to, you know, a guy ranked what 170 odd yeah. uh, in the world in five sets didn't see that one coming um but we'll, we'll get on to that in a second that will be our, our first news item of the episode i'm absolutely sure of that <laughs> um but yeah we don't have chris today uh before anyone wonders where he he is uh but he's he's in paris or he's on his way to he's on his way yes i have signed i have signed it off that he is allowed to go to Paris uh, to the French Open in person and hopefully for our round two cut catch up he is going to be there and reporting live uh, for us so i'm very excited to see what he gets up to um he's already spoken uh, to us about the schedule he's excited he hopes to see luca Puy and a certain sloan stevens um he's also going to be cheering on uh, barnett and nichols the british doubles so yeah it's all, all very exciting so i look forward to seeing what he um yeah what what goes on for him um, in Paris. Um, but before, Kim, we begin, we have got very exciting news because this week our French Open week one coverage is sponsored by the Boodles, which is a favourite event of mine in the build-up, the last real kind of action you can get um, before Wimbledon on the grass courts in Stoke Park. And yeah, they're sponsoring us us this week. Stefanos Sissipas is going to be there this year, along with Sebi Corda, Lorenzo Massetti, Hubert Hercage, Andre Rublev. And uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to promise to be, I think, a, a great event after a three year hiatus. Yeah, it's been. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad it's coming back. It's got a great lineup. Uh, it's a fantastic event, and we do have a very exciting competition giveaway coming up in our break. So, uh, listeners, do not miss that because uh, it could be your lucky day. Uh, but before we get into all of that, let, let's go back to Roland Garros, um, where we have the first round matches are kind of finishing up as we're recording this. We, we do have a night session still to come. Kim, who cares about that night session? Quite honestly, <laughs> well, some French fans. Mike because it's Gail Monfils but yeah we've got most of the round two lineup kind of set in stone already so the majority of the round one matches have been done and we do have to I think start with today's top story which is the fact that Daniel Medvedev uh, you know second seed has lost in five sets in the first round of the French Open to uh, Thiago Saboth Wild world number 172 um yeah, four hours, 15 minutes on court. Wild being a qualifier. It's his first main draw win at a at a Grand Slam. And he's knocked out Daniel Medvedev, recent Rome champion. So, yeah, a lot of people's collector set predictions having gone mm. quite wrong already. Yeah, it's uh, a, a very surprising result given how well Daniel Medvedev, I think, performed in Rome. But I think you've got to say, you've got to say that Rome result really looks like an outlier now i mean remember the conditions out there the rain um you know the, the court and how it played it really i think shows it it doesn't tell you much 
um, about you know transitioning from Rome to Paris. And you know, I think Medvedev today he came up against an opponent who was just firing on all cylinders. In particular, his forehand. I think he hit over fifty winners alone on on that that side of the court. And uh, yeah, Medvedev at times was getting frustrated with himself. I think there were a few too many balls just put back into the middle of the court and Wilde was just ready and waiting there to to punish them. Yeah, I think Wilde said, you know, he he came out and he just wanted to come in as much as possible to mm. the net, uh, really focus on his forehand. And obviously it worked worked pretty well, you know, he and he could have taken that second set as well. He had two set points. I mean, that was really, that was, for me felt like it was going to be the turning point because mm. Medvedev, it seemed, had broken Wilde in, in that tie break. I just remember him clawing it back and then Wilde have that terrible smash um, on on set point against him. And I thought, well, right, that's it. He's given a good show and Medvedev is just going to run away with this now. And you would have thought with the momentum that Medvedev was carrying in from Rome, that with all his experience, that he would have been able to kind of handle handle the situation. But yeah, to my surprise, he, you know, he let Wilde back into it in the, in that fourth set. And it didn't really get much better for him. And um, I think that was, I think, massive credit to, to Wilde in the sense that I think a lot of people would have expected him to just fade away. Um, you know, the longer that went in the match, we know how much of a wall Daniel Medvedev is from the back of the court. But, yeah, Wilde was just you know ready and waiting and he wasn't going to give up until that very last point. Yeah. And also, you know, he's a qualifier. He's come in, obviously got a run of form. Mm. He's won two challenger titles this year. So obviously been, been coming in with, with some some decent form. But, you know, he said in his press conference that he was cramping in, in the second set. So, I mean, just the fact that he was then able to eke out a, a five set win after having cramped and then so early on in the match, you know, that that's pretty impressive. But it does beg the question of how far can he go if he's sort of physically probably quite exhausted after all his qualifying rounds and and this five set match I think he's going to be up against either Quentin Hallis or, or Guido Payer so I'm I'll be surprised if he goes much much further um but he did play fantastically well today um for most of the match so fair play and I think I think he was a helped a little bit by Medvedev particularly on his serve um I know it was quite blustery I think particularly when you play on Chatrier, we've seen over the last few days handling the the court um, and the the elements as much as the opponent across the net is really, really important because of the, the wind factor. And, and Medvedev was, I think, very uncharacteristic today in terms of the number of double faults um, he, he, you know, he gave up in that. I mean, he gave up 15 in total. Um, and again, he was just offering three points on his, on his serve. And um, it was, an, it was allowing Wilde to kind of set a platform, I think, to really have a crack. And he had those opportunities that he took and he came out with the, you know, he came out with a victory. I think, you know, it's, it's fascinating to think about how quickly tennis can turn, I think for, you know, for a player. And um, for me, it's still very surprising. We're talking about Daniel Medvedev going out in, in round one, given he was the second seed, given that, you know, Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz on that other side of the draw, you would have felt that this was a big opportunity for him to potentially make another Grand Slam final. Yeah, and he'd obviously been the tour leader, you know, in terms of wins on the tour, trophies on the tour Mm. this season. So coming in with, you know, an impressive kind of uh, cohort of results from this season, but that, you know, hasn't meant anything now. He's out in the first round. He'll have to wait uh, to capture a second Grand Slam title. I think some people might have felt that given his Rome title, things on the clay might be looking a bit different, but it, it, you know, it hasn't been the case. Um, So he'll have to really just focus and and head to the grass now. And I mean, the other thing that's come out after today though, Joel, um, some of our listeners may have heard in the news is uh, Wild's, it came up in his press conference actually, but a lot of people uh, sort of talking about this on social media, there are outstanding domestic abuse uh, mm. allegations against Wilde from an ex-girlfriend. Uh, this dates back to September 2021. Um, and I think there's still investigations pending of, of physical and mental assault. So a really unsavory note to to kind of Wilde's um, performance and run here, you know, but obviously these this this sort of news clouding, um, you know, clouding the, the outcome of the match today, really. Um, 
see we don't know the ins and outs of, of the of the case but it's yeah it doesn't leave a nice uh sort of Leaves a sour taste them. in the mouth, exactly. doesn't it? The uh, yeah, I think you know, reading these allegations, I you know, I wasn't aware of them until kind of reading about mm. them today. Yeah, they're not great. We know that tennis has tennis has an issue with this sort of stuff. We've seen cases in the past with Batalashvili, and you know, people would say you know Sasha Zverev, you know, spring spring to mind. Um, so yeah, it's it's a, it's almost annoying, and I think unfortunate um, that it's it's still. It's still part of the, you know, the conversation. I think it happened over, you know, a few years ago, and it doesn't seem to have been a conclusion. And again, it chimes with some of the things we've seen with with ongoing investi- investigations taking too long, and you know, things needing to happen quicker. And who knows? Maybe having Saboth Wild with this result, it's going to certainly, I think, call into question some of his his background that inevitably happens when big players are upset by players lower down in the rankings. I think back to, you know, Tennis Sangren, you know, in that run in at the Australian Open and everyone was kind of quick to kind of call out his, you know, his um, his social media profile and, and historical tweets, etc. So, yeah, there's a little bit of a, a sour taste there. But um, on performance alone, he was fantastic. And um, I have to give him, him credit because Medvedev, Although, you know, he has said that he does not like clay in the past, I don't think he would have been going into this kind of... He wouldn't have been going into the French Open thinking, oh, I just want to get this tournament over and done with. You know, he was really, really trying out there and uh, Saboth Wild just put a better game plan together on the day. Yeah, performance alone, Saboth Wild, um, a worthy winner overall. Mm. And I mean, from one Grand Slam champion to another, but this time a, a former champ here on the clay, Barbora Krachikova, another surprise result from today. She was knocked out in straight sets by uh, Lesia Serenko of Ukraine. Um, I mean, Chris Chris went far with Krachikova <laughs> in his I sort of want him on the podcast so we can talk about <laughs> his his thinking in relation to this. Yeah, and and... Krachikova, since winning the title at Roland Garros in 2021, she hasn't won a single match here in the single. She lost in the first round last year to Diane Parry. Um, I think she had COVID. Or she, you know, a couple of days after that, she did withdraw with COVID. Mm. So perhaps wasn't feeling great. Um, and I know she'd had some injury issues. But why do you think she struggled to to really, you know, get back into her groove on on these courts that she did so well on in 2021? Yeah, I think you know she's not had. The greatest of form of late, I think. You know, Serenko is a trick is a tricky first round encounter. You know, she's a player. Of, you know, she's from Ukraine. She's going to be heavily motivated, and I do think she is a player who likes to likes to come up as a, as the underdog and can put a you know a really good performance together. But certainly, Krachikova is just bang out of form at the moment. I mean, just looking at the stats: twenty six unforced errors in a six two six four straight sets lost not particularly great and um it's, it's just massively disappointing for her in an event that you know she's done so well on in the past yes she's still got the doubles that's all to play for but um you know we should be, we're expecting her to make much better inroads um in the singles and it feels like at the moment we're quite far away from talking about Barbora Krachikova at the peak of her game in the singles court and the doubles court, which, you know, we were in, I feel like, you know, a, a season ago or, or, or whatever. But but now we've gone back to still kind of a formidable presence on the doubles court. But there's still quite a lot of room to, you know, I think to justify being the kind of, you know, around that 10th seed. I know she was the 13th seed here. But to be around that level, I think she's got to go back and maybe do some soul searching and figure out what I need to do on the singles court to get myself back up there. Yeah, maybe if she doesn't, she, I hate to say the words one hit wonder, but maybe she'll be that for mm. us for the singles kind of side of things anyway, in terms of winning any more slams. Um, I mean, Serenko has been in the top 25 before. Yeah. She has had some good results at slams um, previously. And she's, she's her issue, much like Carolina Mukova, um, you know, which we'll get onto, who, who's, who's, who I say stunned Zachary, but she's an unbelievable competitor on a day. But they both have had their injury struggles over the, you know, over the seasons. And as much as it might look as a massive shock on paper because Serenko is unseeded, yeah, she's certainly a very fierce competitor on her day. 
Yeah, and it's also her 34th birthday today. So happy birthday, Lesia Serenko. <laughs> well done on your win. Um, I also noticed that Coco Goff uh, had a battle today. Uh, she was a set yeah. down. Masarova. Yeah, Rebecca Masarova of Spain. You know, Coco Goff hasn't won back-to-back matches on European clay this season. So, and you know, as a former finalist here last year, she's got a lot of points to defend. Uh, didn't get off to a great start, but came back and won the last two sets, six-one, six-two. She began to kind of get a bit more confident um, and just sort of increasing the the aggression in her game. Um, yeah, what did you make of, of Coco Goff? Do you think she can play her way into some form here and, and get those back-to-back wins finally? Yeah, I think she was certainly helped by Masarova. I mean, she turned up, yes, for that first set, but she, I feel like, just completely capitulated and arguably handed it to, to Coco Goff on the plate. I mean, Masarova hit 40 unforced errors across the match. Um, so a lot of free points given to, to Goff. And yeah, if, you, if you're in Coco Goff's shoes at the moment, you'd happily, happily take that because, yeah, she is desperately, I think, trying to find some form. And, you know, probably similar to kind of Barbora Krachikova was probably looking, going into this tournament as, you know, I've had success stories on here in the past um I've gone very deep in this tournament and I love I've loved playing on this court I've got fond memories of it and um I'm really glad she was able to kind of almost do a complete reset um in that those second and, and third sets and uh yeah I've got confidence that she can grow into the tournament I mean I've Kalanina who I thought could be a tricky opponent for her in the third round also um, you know, lost today. So the draw is getting a little bit easier for her. And, um, you know, I think she's got another kind of unseeded player up next. And uh, yeah, I certainly think there's an opportunity there for her to get some wins under her belt and maybe, maybe cause some surprises further down the line. Cause I don't think anyone is really talking about her at the moment as maybe they should as a, you know, French open finalist from last year. Might be just as well what she needs kind of less attention and, and focus mm. almost. I mean, I've kind of, I, I had, I had Kalanina Goff earmarked as a round three with, with Kalanina winning, which influenced my yeah. collector set result. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It could actually be Mira Andreeva against Coco mm. Goff. And I was thinking Andreeva, one to watch. She's only 16 years old. She had a good run at, at Madrid last last month. Um, and this is you know the first Grand Slam match of, of her career that she's she's won today. And I don't know. I just have a funny feeling she could go. She could go quite Is she going to do an Emma Raducanu? In this is, she, is she the next Emma Raducanu? <laughs> she's come from Maybe. qualifying. Yeah, exactly. And she won today in under an hour, thrashing um, Alison Risk. Uh, but she's also a massive Andy Murray fan, apparently. Um, she's been <laughs> yes. texting him. He's inspired her to, mm. to win. So she's uh, credited him uh, for kind of, you know, getting her over the line. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I think Goff's draw isn't isn't the easiest if she's not playing great. There's some younger players than even Coco Goff who could uh, upset her. I don't necessarily think that was a bad result for um, Alison Risk. You know, she wants to get on the grass court. She does. You know, that's that's her. You know, that's her bread and butter. And mm. um, I think, you know, this was a fantastic result for for Andreeva. I mean, as a teenager, to to do that against someone as experienced as as Alison Risk is unbelievable. She was absolutely climbing all over um, Alison's risk serve throughout the match, and. Um, it was mightily, mightily impressive. I did joke about is this kind of a, the next Emirati Kanu sort of sort of journey that could potentially happen. You know, I don't, I don't, I could see her going on another, you know, another nice little run, you know, in this competition. She's, you know, on full of confidence at the moment. She's come through qualifying with matches under her belt and uh, she's such a talented prospect. Um, I almost want to see her more of her on the court, not dish out these, these drubbings because there's so much I think to like about her. Um, I mean, I remember I watching, you know, I watched her, you know, lose to kind of um, Sabalenka, I think, in in Madrid, and I do think you know there's still that kind of element of if she comes up against uh, you know a powerful player from the baseline, if she, is she going to get kind of 
over, you know, overwhelmed. But certainly against, you know, other other types of players, you know, she can really kind of mix it from the the back of the court. Really love the spins that she kind of develops um, and the angles that, that she plays with. And um, yeah, it'll be fascinating to just keep an eye on her and um, I think see also how the crowd kind of react to her as well because as she, she's just coming onto the scene. Not many people know about her. It's all probably a bit hush hush. Oh, I, I want to see what this player is like. And uh, I just think she should just kind of soak it in and, and, and see where it takes her. Yeah. She also has an older sister, Erica, who's currently on court, uh, but a set down to Emma they, Navarro. They all seem to come in pairs, don't they? We've got the, the Linda and Brenda Privertiva uh, as well. Um, yeah, it just, it just seems that there's always like a, a sister-sister combo. Keeping it in the family. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, other results from the women's tour, um, with the women's side of things today. Onjibor, Elena Rabakina, Iga Shrontek, mm. all through in straight sets against their respective opponents. Um, we haven't seen Onjibor on a tennis court in a while, um, yeah. but she managed to navigate through Lucia Bronzetti, uh, which was good because last year she lost in the first she lost round. In the didn't first she? Round, exactly. That was a nice. No, that was a very entertaining win. I was I was slightly nervous what Onjibor was going to turn up because she's such a fun I mean she's such a fun player to watch when you know she's on but I don't feel like she has been on as much as she would have liked over the season so far but again another player who's got fantastic memories of of playing at the French Open and um, she's such a shot maker from the back of the court and particularly I think in that second set it was it was all on show against Bronzetti. Yeah, and Rebecca looked, uh, you know, very in control against Brenda Frivertiva. She's got another Czech uh, next round, <laughs> Linda Noskova. So mm. working her way through the young Czech players, perhaps. I um, mean, the, the Czechs not doing not doing that well. I think I read the top four Czech players in the rankings all lost without winning a set. Yep. Kvitova's gone, hasn't yeah, she? As Kvitova, well? yeah. Fishkova, um, yeah. Who would be Kvitova? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not a good and, day for the Czech. Yeah. No, not not good at all for for such a strong yeah for such a strong nation. Um, yeah, not not great. Interestingly, on on Rabakina, a lot of the focus was on the fact that she's no longer with Adidas. Um, she is not with Adidas anymore and everyone was a little bit taken by surprise but she said that Adidas did not treat her well so she said goodbye and uh, yeah she's moved she's moved on is she with Yonex now I think she was wearing a Yonex shirt I may be wrong it was, it was quite a nice outfit mm. I quite like the colour but um Oh, there you go. Clothing changes. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, Iga Svontek just finishing up not so long ago. Four in love against Christina Buxer. Bit of a slow start. There's a couple of breaks. Mm. And I, yeah, but... I was a little bit nervous. You know, you never mm. know following... you Because know, that match obviously followed the, the Daniel Medvedev shock. Mm. And you never know um, what I feel is going to happen. You know, strange things have happened. Are they going to continue? And... Uh, Busca was certainly threatening, I think, in that first set. It wasn't, it certainly wasn't vintage, uh, you know, Sviontek. I did think that Busca was playing borderline out of her skin, but um, there's certainly opportunities on Sviontek's serve um, for players to get into. I think her second serve in particular, it was a very kind of vulnerable spot that. Um, Busca was kind of uh, yeah climbing all over to to get kind of breakpoint opportunities. So um, yeah, she'll want to make sure that is put right. I think going further into the tournament. Yeah, and one match that was earmarked as a first round: Bianca Andreescu versus Victoria Azarenka. So far, that's not really living up to the billing. Perhaps Azarenka's setting a breakup. Um, Chris won't be very happy, will he? I'm sure he's <laughs> wanting uh, Andrescu to win that one. But um, yeah, uh, we'll see how that turns out. Um, just a, before we go on to having a little break, Joel, um, there has been a lot of criticism yet again uh, with French Open scheduling. All the night session matches so far have been men's matches. Um, we've got Monfils tonight. We opened with, I think, Manorino Umber on Sunday. It's Djokovic tomorrow night against Fuxovics. I think they did ask Caroline Garcia. She said, no, she doesn't want to play so late, which is fair enough. I, I might do the same if I was her. But <laughs> I mean, what do you what do you make of their schedule? I know we've discussed this probably last year and maybe the year before, but it's it's a bit problematic. If, if every almost every night match is going to be men's. There's, there's so many different elements that are problematic to me. The fact that it's only one match is, is problematic. The fact that you've got players uh, that don't want to play it is is problematic. As you said, 
the chat is that Caroline Garcia was asked to play her um, her match, her first round match as a night match. And she said no, because she didn't want to finish late and it kind of disrupt her kind of competition. So that is that is problematic in itself. And the matches that we do get are just, they just feel very kind of, you know, underwhelming. And I get that, you know, this is, this night session match is probably more geared towards the French crowd. Hence, you know, we've got Gar Monfils against Sebastian Byers this evening. I think that could be a real entertainer. So mm-hmm. I could actually say, okay, yeah, that's got, that could have evening, evening star potential. But, you know, matches like Manorino Umber to open an evening match of, you know, the French Open 2023 first evening match, that just does not feel right. And, um, yeah, I think they could do better in terms of looking at some of the women's matches that don't necessarily involve um, you know, French players. I think actually the the bigger like round one marquee matchups have been on that ladies' side and uh not so much necessarily on the men's side. But again, you've got that issue of if you're only gonna have one match, you have no doubt fans might feel a little bit kind of shortchanged if they're only gonna get one best of three ladies match. Yeah, I think I would rather have two ladies matches, but mm. you know, starting them at a reasonable time so you the start earlier, yeah, isn't going off into the the night uh, too much. You know, in the middle early hours of the morning, which just just gets ridiculous. Um, maybe they wanted to give Ugo and Bear a, a reward for becoming the the new French number one. <laughs> you know, it's a ch- changing situation as we know of that. So, uh, I mean, what would you what what would you do? Um, you know, for the French Open, do you think they should keep? you know the night session you obviously know why they do it it's for money money purposes um we know how broke the well we know how much money the um or or sorry we know that the french tennis federation are looking at the french open and ways to monetize it as as much as possible do you think it's a case of just tweaking the format for for next year potentially or how would you like to how would you like to see it change it is tricky because you could say let's start the evening session early, have two matches, but then if the day session runs late, then it just is a nightmare for controlling crowds and all of that. So I don't, I mean, yeah, we're here, we are criticising, but do we have a solution? You know, it's it's all very well us saying, oh, they shouldn't do this, they shouldn't do that. But I don't know. I mean, generally, yeah, with it, when it comes to clay and grass events, I'm, I'm quite a traditionalist. I don't really like the night session so much i think a roof should only be used for rain i think you know you've got certain it's a you know daytime um event you know (laughs) that's sort of my traditional opinion but i totally see the need for you know for commercial uh avenues to be Mm. um you know it feels like it's driving the decision and it's just not Mm. giving us a great just a great experience it's giving us a, a beige sort of experience i think we're not really sure you know what to make of it i think everyone's a little bit divided on it and i think if you look at some of the the crowds the numbers in the crowds you know for these matches even with like the french french players involved it doesn't feel like it's a very you know hustle and bustle live wire atmosphere like you get you know when you go late night you know in in melbourne or in new york city where it's a completely different atmosphere so yeah, yeah I guess it also I mean the positive side is that it does give like locals a chance to just pop after work and, and get their hands on a ticket maybe they don't want to commit to a whole day take a day off work they can just you know go to a match after work so I think in a way that does expand the accessibility to more fans um, if they kind of just want to pop along for you know a short period of time but yeah it'd be interesting to know what our listeners think on that one um, you know do you prefer night session matches at the French Open or would you rather go back to how it was before um, but let's take a quick break now we'll be back in the second half looking back at day one and day two so Sunday and Monday from the French Open as well as revealing our collector set predictions some of which are already uh, quite <laughs> old <laughs> so do not go anywhere The Boodles is back. After a three-year break, the ultimate pre-Wimbledon tennis event is returning to Stoke Park from the 27th of June to the 1st of July. And we're offering one lucky Tennis Weekly listener the chance to win a pair of stadium passes to join us at the country estate for a day of world-class tennis in an English garden party setting. Where you can sip champagne, dine in style and mingle with your favourite tennis stars, including... Stefanos Tsitsipas... Andre Rublev, Felix Auger-Aliassime, Seb Korda, Lorenzo Massetti, Hubert Hercage, and even more top players to be confirmed in the coming weeks. 
The Boodles is located just 35 minutes from central London and every seat in the stadium is no more than 10 metres from the court, giving every guest the ultimate fan experience on one of the UK's finest grass courts. Tickets start from £90 and attendance is strictly limited to £2,000 per day, so booking early is advised to avoid disappointment. To book, visit their website, theboodles.com. And for your chance to win a pair of stadium passes, all you have to do is follow us on social media at Tennis Weekly Pod, like our competition post and tag a friend that you would like to come with you. Maximum two entries per person, one per social channel on Instagram and Twitter. The competition closes on Sunday the 4th of June at midnight. Winners will be announced on our fourth round catch up on Tuesday the 6th of June. So listen in to find out if you are a lucky winner. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by The Boodles. And now we're going to move on to look back at day two and day one of the action from Roland Garros. Um, we had a bit of, uh, well, we had a couple of um, a couple of incidents, I suppose, I say incidents, but a bit of talking points. Mm. Um, politics, Matt, politics, tennis. Politics. They've, they've combined, they've clashed. Should they? Should they be combining? That's the thing. Uh, we had Marta Kostuk up against Arena Sabalenka. Uh, Sabalenka won straight sets, pretty comfortable, 6-3, 6-2. Marta Kostuk did not shake hands with, with Sabalenka. You know, she hasn't been shaking hands with anyone from Belarus or Russia, as have, you know, a lot of the Ukrainian players have, have been refusing to do that. The French crowd, maybe they weren't aware that this was going to happen or that Kostuk hasn't been shaking hands with these players. They were booing her off off the court. Um, and, I mean, Sabalenka thought at first they were booing her, but then it was actually Kostuk they were booing. And it was just a very unsavoury end to to the match. Um, what did you make of this, uh, Joel? Were the French crowd right to boo? Were they out of order to boo? I've got to side with, with Marta Kostuk on this. Um, you know, she was pretty explosive in her comments, um, in her in her presser afterwards. And she just said, flat out, people should honestly, should be honestly embarrassed, um, you know, with how they acted. And given the context of, you know, what's going on at the moment, you know, even on, on that day, um, you know, there were, uh, what, drone attack in, in, in Kiev, which is quite kind of close to kind of Marta Kostuk. And, you know, for then her to go on court, put in a performance be defeated and then to have the crowd boo you for for not giving a, a handshake i think the crowd have got to look beyond you know visually on on the court and and be more aware of of what what is happening you know in in the world and um i don't think you know this this flatters that you know the french open crowd at all i get that you know there's a very kind of playful manner to some of their kind of booing and, and interaction on the court but i think there are some kind of issues and moments where it should just not be happening at all. And this for me is really kind of in comparison and in stark contrast to to Wimbledon. You know, Wimbledon, the All England Lawn Tennis Club are putting out and giving so much support to kind of the Ukrainian players. And you just can't imagine, you know, a tennis crowd at Wimbledon, you know, having the same sort of reaction. You know, you, they would see it, they would kind of accept their, you know, that's their stance, you know, we've played a tennis match. That's their stance. They don't want to do a handshake. We move on. And I think, you know, a British crowd can accept that. And I think I think all crowds should be accepting that. And I think, yeah, to me, it's a little bit embarrassing that the French crowd, you know, in parts, I'm not saying everyone did it, but in parts were vocally booing a player who is going through, you know, an unbelievable time at the moment with, you know, in relation to her country. Yeah, and this is one of the ways in which she feels she can like take a stand and and make a point. And to boo that, it's it's kind of saying, oh no, how you know how like this just yeah, it's not respectful. And I think it's a lack of yeah, it's it's like an ignorance on on the crowd's part, isn't it? And and I think like it was conf- it was confusing as well. It wasn't expected given how Sabalenka mm. responded and thought it was <laughs> it was about her. It just showed, I think, the level of of surprise that um that um that it had you know on on the players and um yeah it's i think it's still interesting though because i know you're kind of you have an opinion or a take on handshakes and if you feel like is there an argument to say you just got to you just got to get on with it and, and do it for the sake of it yeah i mean i guess i don't think there's any rule or 
fine that a player gets for not mm. ha- shaking the hand of their opponent. I'm, I'm like my natural opinion is that you know, just you know, even if there's something you disagree with or you know you're not happy with something that happened in the match, you know, away from kind of politics, you know, it's a sign of respect to that individual just to shake their hands. And I think by choosing not to shake the hands of a of a group of players based on their nationality. And, you know, most of them, perhaps all of them probably have zero connections to, you know, the war and, and Putin's decision to go to war. Like, is it, you know, is it necessarily the right thing to refuse to shake hands on a sort of blanket scale? I don't, I don't know. But I mean, I, how can I, you know, I, I'm not in Marta Kostuk's shoes. It's all very well for me to say that I'm completely aware of that. She's certainly, I think, the most hostile um mm. ukrainian player when it when it comes to this she is kind of you know really adamant about it and she you know doesn't hold back um you know in her, in her press conferences you know she said you know i want to see people react to it in 10 years when the war is over i think they will not feel really nice about what they did so she was very honest and open you know with how she kind of viewed the the situation and um yeah it, it was interesting to see this was not just kind of a an isolated instance because we had Kudemetova versus uh, Shmidva. Now, uh, before uh, we talk about it, because I had Kudemetova uh, go kind of in my predictions in the, in the tournament, which has not gone very mm. well. Um, but she lost it to Shmidva. Shmidva was in a kind of showing her support for, for Ukraine. You know, she's a Slovakian. Her outfit um, was kind of dressed in the colours of, of the Ukraine flag. Um, so I feel like there are more kind of sub um not not um what's the word i'm looking for not subverted um implicit ways of kind of get, of showing your support um and for example with shmidva it might be kind of yeah like wearing you know wearing an outfit with the, with the colors on but for marta kostuk it's i'm not going to shake your hand yeah exactly there's different interpretations and, mm. and ways ways about it one other player though that has courted controversy and it's not a player well it's a player that certainly hasn't avoided controversy uh before and that that's Novak Djokovic um he had a very run-of-the-mill match straight sets over American uh Alexander Kovac- Kovacevic um but I, most of the talking points from this match uh, apart from the fact the third set went to a tie break um is that Djokovic That doesn't no- happen very often I think in uh in no. round 1 uh, Novak Djokovic grand slam matches he did say I think I was reading he is now 19 and 0 in round 1 matches at the French Open which is still an incredible mm. incredible achievement but as you said the the drama was more the TV camera and what he wrote into the TV camera after the match. Yeah, he wrote, Kosovo is the heart of Serbia. Stop the violence, uh, which is a very political statement. Uh, there's been a lot of tensions out on mm. the Kosovo-Serbia border. Uh, I think NATO peacekeeping soldiers are involved. Uh, Serbian military has been sent there. Lots of protests going on. As a result of what Novak's written, uh, the Kosovo Tennis Federation are requesting some sort of punishment from the ITF or ATP or on Djokovic. Um, and yeah, I don't think this was particularly uh, well thought out on Djokovic's part, given the fact that, you know, we've seen a lot of issues around the, you know, Russian and Belarusian players. They're all having to sign, you know, like neutrality statements, I think, uh, for Wimbledon this year. And it brings into the question of, you know, other political issues and conflicts in the world. Um, You know, should players be promoting these or, you know, I know he said stop the violence. He probably doesn't want war, of of course. I'm not saying that, but it's, can be interpreted in many different ways and it's probably best not to men- you know not to put it out there so publicly on a big camera where thousands of people are watching yeah it was uh, a statement that you know he's obviously a very patriotic um player you know likes to wear his you know his heart on his sleeve and um yeah the the the, the tv camera um you know we've obviously seen it being used to just you know go for a, an autograph but we we have gone evolved far beyond that now, haven't we? And um, it's a place where it can be politicised, and and players can put these these messages out. And I do wonder if, for example, Wimbledon will be looking and reminding players that you know that is not something that they you know want to see. You know, they're asking Russian players to sign neutrality agreements. You know, who's to say if if I'm, you know, working for for Wimbledon or the All England Lawn Tennis Club at the moment, and I'm seeing Djokovic write a statement like this, 
do we need to prepare neutrality statements for for other things kind of going on because it, it looks like there are other aspects that are play are, are boiling over not just russia and, and belarus versus ukraine and um it'll be interesting to see i don't expect i don't expect to see any sort of punishment come to fruition i think the french tennis federation have already said that they, they they've made a statement it's not really said anything and they're just gonna maybe remind novak djokovic but you know if he continues to make these these statements i think it's probably going to look be looked at a lot more sternly by the Wimbledon tournament organisers than I think the stance that the French Open Tennis Federation have done. Yeah, it's very different to just writing love and peace on a camera. You know, no one can argue with that. But I think maybe it was so explicit. To... I think that's the issue because mm. it was so explicit. Um, exactly. If you just maybe said stop the violence, it, it's a bit like oh, okay, I, you can. There's a li- little bit more kind of open to interpretation. Um, mm. You know, remember with the Andrei Rublev, uh, you know, message. Um, in relation to the war. He didn't necessarily kind of call that out explicitly. It's just sort of kind of was referenced. And I wondered, you know, if Novak Djokovic wanted to make a, a point of this to to the crowd, then perhaps it could have been a little bit vaguer than than he went about um, writing it on the on the lens. Absolutely, I com- completely agree. And I um, mean, you know, on on the tennis side of things, he is through, and we will have the night session against mm. Martin. And all his and Kim, all his injuries seem to be magically, um, you know, magically not apparent anymore. So um, that's, yep. I mean, that's good good news for him. Um, he'll still, I think, be annoyed, and I have no doubt Carlos Alcaraz fans will be annoyed that that Daniel Medvedev did all that hard work in Rome to become the second seed and and push Djokovic into the top half and then only to go out in the in the first round. Yeah, I think that a lot of people might find that quite uh, frustrating, <laughs> uh, to say the least. Uh, but another, another well, nation, I guess, of tennis fans that might be frustrated are, well, it's Great Britain, uh, the UK, because there's only one remaining British player in the singles left, and that is Cam Norrie, who almost went out as well. Uh, he survived in five sets to Benoit Paire. Um, but we had Dan Evans losing in straight sets uh, to Tanasi Kokonakis. Jack Draper retiring after a set to Thomas uh, Echeverry. Um, and we've had no women in the in the main draw, of course. Um, so it's not been great from a, from a British perspective. Um, Jack Draper, obviously... Very sad that he's oh, had injury yeah. uh, issues. I think he's quite upset about that, as you can imagine. Um, he was determined to play, but I think it was just way too much of an ask um, with his um, with his uh, injury. Yeah, it was really disappointing. I mean, it was always going to be a tough matchup against Echeverry on on a clay court, um, and it was interesting to hear his his comments afterwards. Um, I mean, in the match, he was talking to his coach and saying, I'm not retiring from another match. I don't want to do this. Even if I have to play three sets underarm, I don't care. I just want to play. So I think it shows the level of frustration um, that he's dealing with with his body at the moment. You know, we know he's such a talented prospect on the tour, but it seemed like the, the body is getting the better of him at the moment. And I'm almost kind of scared to make comparisons with Kyle Edmund, who was in a very similar, I feel, position with being such a, an exciting prospect on the tour, making inroads at, at Grand Slams. And then again, his, his body kind of took his toll and it, it remains to be seen whether you know he can get back to kind of former glories. But um, yeah, to see it happen to Jack Draper at such a young age, I mean, he's still, you know, only kind of 21 years old. It's, um, you know, it's really, really annoying. And he said, I think, um, you know, it, it, you know, mentally, it's just like it's just mentally demoralizing when these injuries come along and they just don't let you play his tennis. So, yeah, I hope he can get better. Um, particularly, obviously, with with the grass courts and, and Wimbledon coming up, because I would say that you know, if there is a blessing, then it's maybe that the fact that he's not going to put his body under too much more physical stress of the the red dirt, and um, he can get back to the surface that he can probably do the most damage on um also shorter points as well with with you know quicker courts um i just hope he can get fit for what hopefully will be a cracker i think he's in the entry entry list for queens and then um you know and then wimbledon 
Yeah, and another player who can hopefully focus on the grass now is is Dan Evans, who mm. actually came out in in a sort of his press conference to have a go at the LTA. Um, it, you know, sort of been a bit of criticism around the the scholarship program uh, that the LTA has. They they have a pro scholarship program. I think they they have uh, five players who get these um, these sort of contracts. scholarships every yeah. yeah contracts essentially. And Dan Evans basically coming out saying they need to open it up to people of different backgrounds you know um not people who have you know been born with a silver spoon in their mouth it needs to be more people from you know working class kind of poorer backgrounds and you know he's very much identifies as a a working class tennis pro as, as he's described himself do you agree with dan evans criticism yeah, there? i thought it was uh i thought it was nice for him to even in defeat um you know come out with this message i mean there are going to be people out there who probably say that he was trying to deflect you know from his own performance and the lta mm. is uh an, e- an easy target but um yeah i mean this is a, a message that i think needs to be said um but i will say i think you know to me this is kind of talking about you know where do you find these you know working class players if they feel like clubs are too elitist and you know the idea of a membership and i do think you know going down to your local park um you know we've spoken we've spoken to the lta about their kind of park strategy um i think that's a really interesting opportunity and it's certainly something that needs i think to just be monitored and thought about and continued to be assessed because i do think that is where a a big area where working class backgrounds who maybe can't afford to to join a club will go and, and play and get into the sport so i certainly think that you know he's got um the right to kind of say that and i'm glad he's raised awareness of of this um but i think at the same time the lta are kind of doing you know doing their bit but yeah it's not something that can be fixed overnight no, and it starts from the 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 real bottom up. It's mm. getting all players, you know, involved from all backgrounds. You know, as you said, sort of from the word go, not just when it comes to getting a scholarship. Um, but perhaps more on that in the in the run up to Wimbledon. Um, let's look at some of the other results from the last couple of days. Yannick Sinner and Carlos Alcaraz also safely through comfortably. When are we talking about the Carotta Fan Club? We're talking about it right now, Joel. <laughs> it's my favourite thing to come out of like. It's my favourite thing time. to come out of round one, to be honest. Regardless of forget all the results, I just love, I've just love image. I just love this image of of grown men going to the French Open, going to a Grand Slam, dressed as carrots. Yes. So Yannick Sinner has quite orange hair, um, and he says that he has a bunch of fans who dress up as carrots, wave Italian flags, and they cheer for him at his matches. Mm. And they're known as the Carotta boys. Um and, and Yannick Sinner has been known to eat a carrot on a tennis court, I think. He did it back in Vienna, so that this nickname has come about. Um so if you <laughs> if anyone listening loves Yannick Sinner, he's your favourite player, get that carrot costume ready. I feel like we gotta do an episode in our own Carotta Carotta uniforms. I, I mean, do I own anything orange? I'm just struggling to think now. Bright orange outfit. Yeah, I, I think we could. Uh, yeah, well, instead of the Doritos at midnight, do you want to, you know, snack in a bunch of carrots? Maybe yeah. JPEG style. I, yeah. Who was who was that player who really who who started like the pickle juice craze? You know, we. Oh are we, yeah. Well, whoever it was, you know, we need to know more about kind of players. You know, what they're kind of quirky food supplements are on a court and then get, get have more fans just just dress up as them and, and go to their tournaments so uh yeah maybe i'll we, we should dress up as the, the pickle juice pickle juice fans and just go to just sort of find some players who, who enjoy some pickle juice as their supplement and, and go support them there was also a, a female player a couple of years ago i think it was at roland garrison she just had like a pot of noodles like a takeaway <laughs> on the side of the court oh that'll which... suit i mean that suits me that's just right yeah oh yeah that's making me hungry for my dinner um <laughs> but yes and aside from carrots uh let's go back to the tennis um as much as we want to talk about vegetables and fruits um caroline garcia let's talk about caroline garcia she only narrowly survived uh in her first round match she was up great against- match yeah, really good match. Uh, China's uh, Wang Zhizhou, uh, Caroline Garcia winning 6-4 in the third set. Um, they were only broken twice. It wasn't a break fest. They were quite strong on, on serve. It just went on and on and on. A bit like that Katie Balter match we were present at yes. in Coventry <laughs> by the sounds of it. Uh, but she is safe, well, safely enough through to fight another day. She's got 
blink of a, I think, tomorrow, which is going to be a tough, uh, a tough battle again for Garcia. Um, Strasbourg runner-up, I think. Strasbourg runner-up, yeah. So in really good form. So uh, definitely another stern mm. test, I think. But Wang, uh, her opponent, is now uh, coached by D- Nigel Sears, yeah. uh, apparently. So- she she is a very... I, I'd not watched much of her, but she was fantastic, I think, against Garcia. She was very... I think I tweeted, she's very unflappable on the tennis court. Um, as you can imagine... Garcia was very intimidating with her big booming serves. The French crowd as well, but um, yeah, Wong was uh, was fantastic. I thought, and um, she's a very exciting player to watch. I think she's only twenty four years old, so I'm interested to see. She's definitely a, a player you do not want to be facing. I think in the in the early rounds because um, she pushed Garcia all the way here and um you know there were times when I was wondering, hang on, is is Garcia going to be the you know the top? top women's seed to, to go out of the competition so far because we know it's not always been a match made in heaven her and, and the French Open and sometimes the nerves have got better for you know have got the better of her I think it was great to see her swagger onto the court she looked so confident and she looked like in the mood um, and she and she really needed to to be at a, at a high level because yeah Wong on the other side of the court was also playing a really really aggressive um, brand of tennis yeah, and hopefully she'll be on, on good form tomorrow. But yeah, fifth seed, Garcia, surviving. A lot of other seeds did not survive and they crashed out. We mentioned earlier, Petra Kvitova, 10th seed. Uh, 11th seed, Kudometova, also a goner. 12th seed, Belinda Bencic out. 16th seed, Pliskova out. Also Martina Trevisan, uh, who was the 26th seed. Oje Aliasim to Fornini. Yeah, men's side, Oje Aliasim out. I'm only bringing that up, Kim, because I called that in the predictions. Um, seem did have, he's had injury issues. Um, I think he had a stomach troubles, uh, you know, overnight. So um, that wasn't necessarily, I don't think we can read too much into that, but still he's definitely trying to find some form. Yeah. Uh, Jan Leonard Striff out. He was the what Madrid mm. finalist. I thought he was yeah. going to get to the quarters or something, but he's gone. Uh, Van der Zandschulp's gone. I think he'll be wanting to focus on the grass. Um, and also Zachary out. Uh, Magdalene out, uh, Joel. Sorry to say. I know. Um, <laughs> I, mean, that, I mean, that part of the draw has just opened up massively. I mean, Maria Zachary... Carolina Mukova, um, yeah, really tight, tight match. We know Zachary is a very consistent performer getting to getting to, to semi-finals, but yeah, Mukova is just, um, yeah, I mean, she's she's fantastic. I just wish that, yeah, she can just just play injury free because she would comfortably, I think, be in the in the top twenties, be a, be a seeded player. But um, yeah, you, you're sort of looking at it like if you're in Zachary's position like a, a Kai Kanepi, like, oh, I just really hope I don't draw Carolina Carolina, Carolina Mukova in round one. Yeah, Mukova also beat Zachary here last year in the second mm. round. So uh, having now read that fact, I, I sort of revising the fact that I'd put Zachary going to the semi-finals, but I'm really pleased for Mukova because like you said, she deserves mm. to be up there really. Um, and Sloane Stevens as well, uh, you know, former Grand Slam champion. Yeah. She's been in the final um in in Roland Garros before and beating Pliskova in straight sets that was really pleasing to see from a Sloane Stevens perspective um so perhaps perhaps she can uh you know get some decent wins here um I'd, I'd love to see it yeah I mean another player who's had you know former glories here um came very close had one of my favorite matches of all time that that final against uh Simona Halep um but um yeah, she's she obviously won that tournament in St. Malo, that WTA one two five. Um, you know, has been playing well, I think, on the clay on the tour. Not maybe necessarily picking up trophies, but showing a good level um of game. So um yeah, great to see her win against uh Pushiva. I think she was leading the head to head, so maybe not as big of an upset as maybe some would think. I think she was like four one in, in the head to head, but um yeah, good win nonetheless. Yeah, and as a result of uh, the likes of Zachary Bencic uh, going out, we do have someone uh, who's going to be in the quarterfinals mm. out of the following. Karolina Mukova, Nadia Podoroska, former semi-finalist here. Uh, Sara Irani, former finalist here. Uh, Irina Begu, Leila Fernandez, we know she can go deep at a slam. Clara Towson, um, 
young, you know, promising player who, you know, had to qualify this time around. Uh, Leolia Jean-Jean, local French wildcard, and I think Alina avana who beat Benjic in three sets. So one of those players is going to be a course finalist. That's open. So big opportunity. Away. Who have you got? Who have you got? Um, Irani. Oh, wow. Experience. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm liking the look of Clara Torsen. She qualified mm. and then thrashed Sasnovich. So I'm going to say her. Oh, okay. Mm, I'm going to. I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep on with the the mook of a hype. <laughs> <laughs> Let's look at the order of play for day four. Um, oh, yeah, some tasty matches uh, on Chatrier. Camilla Georgie versus Jessie Pagula, followed by Caroline Garcia and a Blinkova. Carlos Alcaraz number one seed against Taro Daniel, and then Novak Djokovic and Martin Fuksovic in the night session. Also quite tasty on Suzanne Longlon as well with Storm mm. uh, Storm Sanders who. I think she's Storm Hunter now, isn't she? But the uh, some of the scoring apps haven't quite updated. So Storm Hunter, great name. She's playing Alina Svitolina, recent Strasbourg champion. Uh, we've got Stan the Man Wawrinka against Danasi Kokinakis. That could be fun. Corentin Mute, Andre Rublev. I think that could could go five yeah. sets. You know, that's got that feels like it's got five sets written all over it. And Jean-Jean Avanasayan uh, to round off. Uh, is there a match from the schedule on both of the main courts, Joel, that you're particularly going to be tuning into Ooh. above all else? Um, I think it might be... I think it might be Camilla Georgie, Jesse Pagula, actually. Yes. First, first match on uh, Chatrier. Um, yeah, I think there could... I don't know. Maybe there could be an upset there. I mean, I was actually impressed with how easily um, yeah, Pagula dealt with the threat of, of Daniel Collins in, in round mm. one. But Camilla Georgie does like an upset. And um, I wouldn't put it past her against uh, Jesse Pagula. Yeah, I was surprised how well Pagula like defeated Collins as well. But I do think Georgie, that could be a scalp. Mm. Uh, third seed could, could be a goner. I'm also a bit concerned for Caroline Garcia, given Blinkova's good form. And mm. yeah, Garcia at home, nerves, French crowd, you know, she may, it may get the better of her. She, you know, I know she's doing a lot better than she was before, but... Um, Concerns for Nori uh, or against Lucas Puy? Oh, yes, very much so. I think if he struggled oh, with um, Benoit, Benoit Pair, I feel like Puy might be okay, more the same. Okay. Sadly. Hopefully not. Prove me wrong, Cameron. Come on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yes, I think I think there's some there's a good lineup. I'm yeah, I think um I think uh yeah, Mute Rublev, that could be five sets mm. as well. Just Mute likes a bit of drama, I think, on his home courts, doesn't he? Um which anyway brings us on to more drama, collector set predictions. Um, drama that's already happened. I know. Thanks to everyone for sending in your predictions. We've had um, lots of entries. So thank you ever so much. And we will update sort of midway through the tournament with how everyone's doing. But we need to reveal our predictions, which we all made mm. before the play started on Sunday. And we've got Chris's predictions as well. He sent them in. Um, so let's let, let's go through. Obviously, we had Medvedev, Rune, Nori, Rabakina, Ostapenko and Goff. So we all had to guess how well they would do. <laughs> so let's start with Daniel Medvedev, who we know has already lost. Joel, what did you go for with Daniel I, Medvedev? I want to take some credit here because I said round four. And I looked at all the, I looked at everyone who who submitted. No one, no one said round one for Medvedev, and the closest anyone was was round four. Um, so Aww. even though I'm wrong, uh, I'm taking partial credit there. Um, but I've got Medvedev <laughs> round four. I've got Holger Rune getting to the final. Cam Norrie round three. Rabakina as my ladies champion. Um, I've downgraded Ostapenko. I think I could put her getting to the finals in my prediction in my draw predictions. I've downgraded her to quarter final, and I've got Coco Goff. I've got Coco Goff round three because I thought she would lose to Kalanina, but that might not happen. That won't happen now. So um, yeah, that that's a bit up in the air as well. Yeah, well, mine, uh, shame to say, my final prediction, well, my <laughs> prediction was the final for Daniel Medvedev. So, yes, you can laugh. Thanks, Joel. Yes. Um, semi-finals for Holger Rune. Um, I thought he was going to lose to Medvedev. So, obviously, mm. well, that, that may not be the case now. Well, it won't be the case, but who knows? Rune might be more on for the final. Uh, Noria had round three. I thought he would lose to Massetti, which could still happen. Yes. Uh, Rebecca and I've gone semi-final. Uh, I think Shontek's going to beat her. 
quarterfinal for Ostapenko and round three for Coco Goff. I also earmarked Kalanina mm. to beat her, but it could be someone else. It's interesting because we have all gone the same, Chris included, mm. for the women. We have all gone yeah. Rabakina. Oh, sorry, sorry. Apart from you for, for Rabakina semi-final, me and Chris have gone the same. Rabakina champion, Ostapenko quarterfinal, Goff round three. However, Chris for his men, he's got Medvedev in the semi-finals, which we can obviously count out. Rune as champion and then Cam Norrie round three. So um, yeah, there's quite a few quite a few similarities, I think, across the, across the board there. I love how Chris just continues to predict Rune to win everything. <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, a double uh, yeah. champ, a double <laughs> champion in collector set predictions. That is a bold strategy, I think, from Chris when he's, as I said, Rune champ, Rebecca a champ. That is that is some strong predictions, I think. <laughs> well, we'll see how well they hold up over the course of the fortnight. And we look forward to hearing Chris in the next episode, bringing us uh, some insight from, you know, out and about mm. in, in Paris at Roland Garros as well. Yes, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action to come from Roland Garros. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and also TikTok now. <laughs> uh, at Tennis Weekly Pod, you will find us on all four social channels. Very exciting. You can also email us as well if you prefer tennisweeklypod at gmail.com and do check out our website, tennisweekly.co.uk. And I would just do a cheeky plug for the TikTok because Chris is going to be uploading on there uh, whilst he is in Paris. Uh, we're also going to be uploading all of our little audiogram clips as well. So if you haven't got time to listen to the full show, we're going to be putting up clips uh, with, from each of our episodes, which are going to be being posted on TikTok as well as our other social channels. So yeah, if you're on TikTok, make sure to give us a follow. But we will be back on Thursday at Tennis Weekly HQ for our round two French Open catch-up brought to you by the Boodles. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.